going back to the power play, we saw a glimpse of it at the end of the season when Wyatt finally came back. Are you looking to have Ty sit in the bumper position again and Wyatt out on the right dot? Are you mixing around with them? This is Bobcat Banter, presented by QBSN and the Quinnipiac Chronicle. Six on four will be the way that we skate, so Rand Pecknold has pushed all of his chips to the center of the table. He's all in. Bobcats need a goal here. The net is empty. Shot. They score! Jaden Lee, the power play marker, just three seconds into the man advantage. We're tied in Lake Placid. Hello and welcome to Bobcat Panther. I'm Noah Epstein. Today I'm joined by QBSN social media manager, Clever Streich. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And Chronicle Sports Editor, Pete Pekarski. What's going on, guys? To talk about the men's hockey upcoming NCAA game against St. Cloud. But first, you know the drill. Let's talk about some other Quinnipiac sports. The men's basketball team made it to the MAC semifinal game where it lost to current Sweet 16 team, St. Peter's. As for the women's team, the Bobcats lost to Manhattan in the MAC semifinal, but then got a WNIT bid. They beat Rhode Island in the first round of the tournament, but fell to Boston College on Monday to end their season. The women's hockey team won in the first round of the NCAA tournament and then lost to number one Ohio State 4-3 in double overtime in the second round. Both lacrosse teams are coming off losses, and the men's team's loss against Manhattan on Sunday was its fifth straight loss. Baseball and softball are still off to rough starts. The baseball team has lost four straight, the softball team has lost two straight, and both teams have winning percentages under 300. Okay, time to talk about Quinnipiac men's hockey. The Bobcats lost to Harvard in the ECAC Championship on Saturday. Matthew Coronado's game-winning overtime goal gave Harvard the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, and Quinnipiac got in as well. The team will play against St. Cloud in Allentown, Pennsylvania on Friday, March 25th in the first round of the tourney. Last year, Quinnipiac lost in the first round to Minnesota State. So how is this team different from previous years? Oh, that's a great question, and I think that it's really, they've, they've turned a, t- a corner in the past, you know, a couple of months throughout the season. They hit the number one ranking spot for the first time in six years. That was a really big coup to the Bobcats. This is a team that has a lot of graduate talent. It has one of the best young goaltenders in the NCAA right now with Yanni Peretz. I mean, his accomplishments, the list that he's been able to amass in this first whole season that he's been the starter is just ridiculous. He set ECAC records. This is a team that has the best defense in the nation right now, one of the top scoring defenses. It is one of the most formidable teams out there and one of the most underrated teams sitting at number eight right now in the USCHO. And I think that if you compare it to the Bobcats of 2020, 2021, even if they had Odin Tufto back in the day, it was just, it's not even, it's night and day. It's really just a different team. It's a different energy that they brought to the ice throughout the regular season, the ECAC. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it, the defense is outstanding. That's that's the biggest difference between last year's team and this year's team is um, not only is the top end significantly better with the addition of Griffin Mendel and the huge step up of Marcus Chorney and Jaden Lee, um, the back end is superb this year. Um, you've had Ari Rassanen, Tony Stillwell. Um, they've thrown a bunch of other random players out there throughout the season, and it's clicked. I mean, Brendan Less has been one of the more significant players in both ends of the ice and he's probably talked about the least amount just because you have Zach Metza who's putting up ridiculous numbers for a second consecutive season um offensively that's where another significant difference is um it's more top to bottom scoring than it was last year 
Um, you don't have Odin Tufto. Ethan DeYoung is not producing like he did last year. Um, Desi Burgart's not producing like he did last year. It's just it's more four complete lines, whereas last year they had to rely heavily on the top line to score every single game. Yeah, Tufto had 39 assists in 2020-2021, which was a massive number. He was, you know, he set the all-time record for assists in program history, and that was such a massive offensive contribution they lost. Uh, now he's, of course, playing the Tampa Bay Lightning system, but to have Zach Metza step up as a defenseman and be your leading scorer kind of shows the depth on the lineup. It really shows how many different role players, excuse me, not role players, because we've talked to Rand Packnell at the ECAC tournament. There are no role players on this team. Really, it's more about strength on all four lines. That's that's kind of the name of the game here. You have uh, Wyatt Bon Giovanni, the new captain. He's had 33 points this year, 15 goals, which leads the team. Oliver Chow, the graduate coming in from UMass, the national champion last year, also has 33 points. Um, this team doesn't have really one big offensive dynamo. It's just kind of built soundly. It reminds me a lot of a mid-2010 Rangers team where there wasn't anyone hitting above 20, 30 goals. There was just kind of a lot of really strong players brought together, and as a collective unit, along with great goaltending, really has pushed themselves to another level and even if they did lose the ECAC, they still have a chance to really turn some heads and go on a run in this NCAA tournament. Now it's it's you're you're completely right. It's nobody is a pure star on this team. And uh, funny enough, this team reminds me a lot of the one school that beat them last year in the regional playoffs, and that was Minnesota State, who just won against Harvard today. Um, you watch them play, and it's first line through fourth line is just a relentless wave of offense shot after shot um, they don't give up much in their own end and it's I think that part of that has to do with um, Oliver Chow coming over from UMass um, and Griffin Mandel coming from Denver they've both teams have seen significant runs uh, in the NCAA tournament and I think Rand wanted to model that based off of what he saw last year where Minnesota State, through the second and third period and then into overtime, dominated Quinnipiac. It was just, I don't think Quinnipiac saw more than two minutes of offensive zone time. And this year, it's almost identical to what Minnesota State did to Quinnipiac in the playoffs. Watching them throughout the year, Quinnipiac has du almost doubled their shot totals of what their opponent has put up. Almost every single game, they're dominating zone possession. And... They've won over 30 games for a second consecutive year, so I, I think that's that's huge to to Rand for creating that system, and it's huge to the transfers for helping him transform that system. Yeah, and kind of following up on that point, the last time that they had a 31 season, they made it to the finals. They made it to the championship game in 2016, and I'm remembering back to that Minnesota State game. That was one of the most difficult games in Quinnipiac program history. I mean, like, you had goals coming from the most random of places, like C.J. McGee putting up points. You had just a, a lot of different depth contributions, but really Dryden McKay was so good in that game for Minnesota State. Now you see where they are right now. They have the second-best scoring offense, the second-best scoring defense. They are one of the most complete teams in NCAA hockey right now, only right behind Michigan. I would really say they're the most complete team 
in the entire country. It's kind of amazing how Minnesota State has gone on this run, has become one of the top units, and Dryden McKay, he's just really put his name out there along with Yanni Peretz and uh, Levi is just the two uh, or three greatest uh, goaltenders in the nation right now. Yeah, Yanni Peretz was a huge shock um, coming out of the gates. Everyone expected Dylan St. Cyr to take over that starting role as a graduate transfer from Notre Dame. Um, and then seeing Yanni skate out onto the ice during the icebreaker tournament. Um, it was a it surprise. Was, it was a surprise. And he played extremely well in both games. And I, no one really expected that, um, especially from a guy who joined the team last year and didn't even go in at once or if he did, was for less than a minute. So I I remember the LIU clip where they pulled the goaltender midway. Live, yes. Live. That was Yanni Peretz's most notable contribution to the team in the 2021 season, and now he's gone and become a top three goaltender in the nation, a finalist for the Mike Richter Award. Like, that guy, that's the guy that's your goaltender, and he's really just proved so many people wrong. I remember during QBSN Roundtable that no one predicted, except for Kalen Terry, no one predicted that Yanni Fretz would be the guy, the starter. It would be Dylan St. Cyr from Notre Dame. And now here we are. Yanni Fretz is one of the best in the nation. Yeah, it, it it still shocks me at how lucky Quinnipiac has been to have three consecutive outstanding goaltenders and Andrew Shortridge and Keith Petroselli and now in Yanni Peretz. And Peretz's stats this year are ridiculous. I, he's a contender for all-time season records in the Division One. Uh, for safe percentage, goals against average, and shutouts. Yeah, this is a guy that's out playing Jimmy Howard, Connor Hellebuck. He's out playing Ryan Miller. Like, these are NHL talents that went on to really great seasons and careers, and he's just obliterating their numbers. It is amazing to be able to cover it. I, I don't think we'll ever see a performance quite like this again where Yanni Peretz has a 948 save percentage, only bested by... Uh, Devin Levi from uh, Northeastern, and he has a ridiculous goals against average of .965, below one, where he's only led up 28 goals this year. Like that's just that's crazy to me. It's 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 amazing that he's had this much success, and only as really a first year slash sophomore, he's got so much more time. And I do imagine that he would depart from the university early down the line because he is someone that I'm sure people are taking notice of as maybe somebody that could be signed to a contract early. But he's going to be the guy, make or break, that could go on a run. If he gets hot, look out, because Quinnipiac could be going further and maybe even taking on Michigan. What's what's even crazier is that the amount of times that I've talked to him about it, um, he only faces 17, 18 shots on average every single game. So there's a lot of dull moments for him. And the fact that he's able to stay zoned in every single game and come up clutch whenever Quinnipiac needs them needs him to, it's very, very impressive. I, even watching him during the ECAC Hockey Semifinals and Championship, he wouldn't see a shot on net for 5, 10, 15 minutes, and then all of a sudden he makes a cross-crease pad save that goes wide of the net by like a quarter of an inch. And it's incredible knowing that he can just, out of no action from last year, to come into this season to dominate the way he does, and every single game is the exact same performance. It's it's quite bizarre. I think it's an anomaly, really. In the history of the NCAA, I don't think there's ever quite been a goalie like Yanni Peretz that shows up, makes an impact like this immediately, and then proceeds to take 
everybody by shock by winning ECAC Player of the Year, by winning ECAC Goalie of the Year, by being named to the first team in the ECAC, and then being named as a finalist in the Mike Richter Award when really last year after Keith Petrozelli, he was kind of a non-factor. He wasn't really the person that people were looking to as the future of Quinnipiac goaltending, but Ren Pecknold has kind of found a golden goose, so to speak, and he's going to have to rely on Yaniv Peretz to get further in this tournament because if Yaniv plays incredibly well like we've seen throughout the season he's had I I would call it flashes of brilliance where he's had these amazing moments where Quinnipiac their great defense sort of does collapse for a moment and then they allow a shot on Yaniv and I I remember Battle of Whitney Avenue the series that he made uh, a series of saves that he made against Yale during the penalty kill uh, for the Bobcats, that was one of the best stretches of goaltending I've ever seen in Quinnipiac history, and that was something that I don't think I'll ever forget because I remember the previous year that Petrozelli had a an amazing game in 2020 against Yale, and then two years later, here's Yanni Peretz also showing us that he too can play in the Battle of Whitney Avenue really effectively. Yeah, and I got to see that from uh, a very unique angle. Um, I was just off to the right, second row um, behind the Quinnipiac home net, so I saw all of the shots that went on net and all the cross-crease moves that Yanni made and then the defense just trying to get in front of the net to try and block anything that Yanni couldn't. Uh, it was That was probably the loudest that I've heard um, the People's United Center. In a while. In, I, ever since they, they took down uh, Cornell when they were the number one team in 2020, that's probably the loudest that I've heard the People's United Center. Well, Peretz led his team to the NCAA tournament where the Bobcats will take on St. Cloud. What are you guys looking for on Friday night? Um, I'm looking for serious adjustments on offense. Um, Rand mentioned how the team has for too long focused on just getting shots to the net, not necessarily creating chaos and traffic. And whenever the goalie tends to go down uh, low into his butterfly, they're not shooting high enough. And that's been obvious all season is they, they can't seem to score in big games. They've struggled against Clarkson, Cornell, and Harvard. And they played Harvard three times, one of them in the championship. And they outshot Harvard 49-17 to and still found a way to lose. So it, it all comes to whether or not they are able to get in front of uh, Renak in net, create traffic, take away his eyes, get deflections. They need to score greasy, grimy goals and not focus on the tic-tac-toe, beautiful goal as much as they want to. Yeah, we talk a lot uh, in student media about how the power play struggles. Rand said it in many press conferences, how he's trying to get it to work, and it's really these setups that don't really lead to goals and success but uh, not only the power play has to get active against you know the best power play in the nation I'm sure we'll be talking about that in a little bit we have a segment planned but the point being I need there to be this feeling that they can win a big game because we've seen now since my time here at this university they have now lost the championship in the ECAC twice both of them 3-2 in overtime first to St. Lawrence and now to Harvard in 2022. So, And they also lost to Minnesota State, which was another very difficult loss. They lost to Minnesota Duluth in 2019. They beat Arizona State 
which was the last really big win that Rand was able to secure for his team. Because previous to that, this team struggled to make the NCAA tournament after losing to North Dakota. In 2016, that was really just a, a great run that they went on. They beat RIT, they beat um, Lowell, they beat UMass Lowell, and they, they beat Boston College to get to the championship game. And since then, it's just been hard since that game to get wins in the NCAA tournament. You have won through the last six years, and it was against Arizona State, which, I mean, no offense to Arizona State. They're a great team, really well coached, and they have a fantastic new facility coming, but they're not the most formidable national opponent. St. Cloud State, that's a name brand. That's a team that made the NCAA championship last year against UMass. You beat them, I would believe a little bit more in Rand, big match Rand. I need that to come out. I need Rand to be able to really secure the big one here. And I think it's possible because St. Cloud State is ranked 11. And the Bobcats have pulled off big wins against top 10 teams before. Look back to North Dakota at the start of the year. They defeated North Dakota in the home opener. That was a huge win, probably the biggest win that they had of the regular season slate. So it's just about carrying that same energy, that drive that they need to get the big one here. Now, you you talked about um, Quinnipiac's lack of big game wins. Um, I think the difference this year where they can compete is... Rand has never really had top-end talent. I mean, Ty Smolanek is the highest-drafted player in school history, and he's been invisible, almost invisible, since the beginning of January. Um, but the, the biggest difference is... Yeah, and the last time that these two teams played was in the national semifinals in 2013. We've heard a lot of talk about that game, and that brought the Bobcats to their first ever national championship uh, finals appearance against Yale. Of course, we all know how that one ended. Yale ended up picking up the 4 nothing victory there. But the fact is, is that the Bobcats have beaten St. Cloud State historically, Rand Pecknold, obviously it's not the same coach behind the bench for St. Cloud State that was 10 years ago, but Rand probably re remembers this team. They have tape of this team, and they know that this team's beatable. Minnesota Duluth beat them in the quarterfinals in the NCHC. So this is a team that can fall. It's just going to be dependent on neutralizing the power play, and this is the best versus the best here. You, guys, you have the best power play in the nation versus the best penalty kill in the nation, which is going to be... Fantastic to watch. It's going to be some great hockey. Uh, but at the same time, special teams is not where the Bobcats excel. We've talked all year 5v5. That's really where the Bobcats are at their best. That's really where they're going to play their defensive brand of hockey. And that's where they'll get contributions from a guy like Bon Giovanni. Uh, surprises from people like Jaden Lee. Uh, people that are going to be able to find the back of the net because their goaltender is strong, but at the same time, it, it, beatable. Because this is a team that did get swept in the quarterfinals of their conference tournament. Not saying that St. Cloud State shouldn't be taken lightly. This is still a team that has a lot of its core that made it to the national championship game last year. 
but it's going to be something that the Bobcats, it will be an uphill climb, but I think it is something that they can move on to Sunday and somehow take a really close one-goal win over. Clever, you mentioned this a little. Pete, you mentioned this in your preview for the NCAA tournament game. St. Cloud converts 31.3% on the power play. Quinnipiac just 14.5%. So how important is the power play going to be on Friday night? Um, I think it's... Obviously, it's it's huge for Quinnipiac to not take penalties. I, a team that converts 31% on the power play, that's just absurd. Um, but if you take a, a deeper look into their team... They have two units that can score, but it is wildly inconsistent as a whole. Um, in games that they end up winning, their power play converts it over 40%, but in games that they lose, it's less than 15%. And part of that has to do with um, there are several games on St. Cloud's schedule where they receive five, six, north of seven sometimes power play opportunities. And Quinnipiac is one of the least penalized teams in the country. So it, it all is just going to come down to um, discipline, not letting them get the man advantage. And Quinnipiac has proven all year that their, their penalty killing is superb, top-notch, best in the country. Um, they block shots. They pressure forwards at the top um, to make risky passes, which most of the time result to turnovers. Um they suppress everything to the outside. They don't let a lot of um, shots happen within the slot. They don't give up big rebounds. And they're really good at just limiting the number of shots that teams can take on the power play. Yeah, I do agree with that point. And Quinnipiac is so disciplined when it comes to the amount of penalty minutes they take per game. They take an average of nine a game, uh, which is 51st out of 59 teams in the NCAA that are ranked right now. Um, and when you're a bottom 10 team, you're not going to give a lot of chances for that power play to be active. Um, and the thing is with St. Cloud State is that it's obvious that this power play is lethal and it's their greatest weapon and greatest strength. If you can stay out of the box, if you can play a very disciplined and kind of defensive game of hockey, I mean, like St. Cloud State's um, defense, is it's just not as strong as Quinnipiac's. I mean, St. Cloud State still is very formidable. They have the 20th best um, scoring defense in the nation, a 2.56 goals against. Uh, so each game they letting they're letting up 2.56 goals on average. But either way, it, it's something that the Bobcats can use their style of play to really sort of neutralize St. Cloud's greatest weapon. And if they can limit the amount of time that they stay in the box, that is going to give them enough chances on five on five play to get past anything that St. Cloud can throw at them. What's what I like to look at is the shot share for teams. Um, I think that's a huge teller of how strong a team is. Um, for St. Cloud to shoot more than thirty shots per game is super impressive, but they allow just under twenty-eight shots per game. So that tells me that their five-on-five game is considerably weak if they're if they're receiving several power plays every game because obviously you're going to outshoot a team on the power play um, versus the penalty kill and looking at their five-on-five play um, their their scoring percentage is comparatively significantly lower than Quinnipiac Quinnipiac scores um, almost 25 percent more of the time against its opponents at even strength Whereas St. Cloud State, it's just 5% more. They've scored 72 goals and have given up 59. 
um, at even strength this year, whereas Quinnipiac, it's 97 to 33, which is substantially different. And if Quinnipiac plays like they have all year, where they just dominate the shot share and they stay off of, um, they stay out of the penalty box, they have a significant advantage over St. Cloud at five on five. Yeah, and also what's what's kind of interesting is how much the St. Cloud power play shoots. They really shoot the puck. It's a .178, so 17.8% uh, shooting rate here. So they they shoot the puck a lot on that uh, man advantage, and I think that is something that Yanni Pretz could be ready for. I mean, like he has shown, like we talked about a, li- a bit earlier, on some miraculous saves against Yale, for example, that was a really intense power play that he had to take on. So Yaniv Peretz and the penalty kill, I mean, the Bobcats have let up less than 10 power play goals this season. If you're doing that through 30-plus games, that's incredible. I mean, that just really goes to show how effective this team is defensively. They, I would go as far to say that the Bobcats are the best defensive team in the nation, and I, I don't think that that's much of a stretch. But the Bobcats' power play in general, it, when you have a worse power play than LIU, there's some problems there. There's some real problems. And they're only shooting 9.5% of the time because so much of the time on their power play is spent pass, pass, set up for a one-timer, pass, pass, around the perimeter, go to Bon Giovanni for one-timer, doesn't work. And that's something that they have to avoid. They, they need to catch teams like Surprise. Like, let's go back to uh, the Harvard game. Jaden Lee, they made a play right off the faceoff, and that was after some mind games were played, where Harvard took their timeout after Quinnipiac finished theirs. They just were almost about to take the faceoff. Harvard's playing mind games, and Quinnipiac beat them at the mind games. Three seconds. That's all it took. That was the fastest power play goal this year. I I would imagine that would be uh, true because... I mean, three seconds is such a quick amount of time that's literally off the face-off. Jaden Lee fires one, boom, power play goal. That's the kind of surprise that St. Cloud State needs to be caught by if you want to get past them because St. Cloud State is a really, really well-disciplined and well-oiled team. They have a, a solid penalty kill, not not anything too spectacular, 27th ranked in the nation right now. They've let up 24 power play goals this season when penalty killing, but that's still something that the Bobcats can work around. And, you know, if, if you can use special teams to your advantage or just try to avoid special teams altogether if you're a Quinnipiac, that might be the best possible play but you can definitely use that strength to your advantage yeah it's they're missing two players on the power play that they had last year obviously Odin Tuff though the huge setup man was able to back yeah well he he was the the biggest asset on the power play because he knew how to hold the puck wherever he was um he never got nervous and always made the right pass yes the other major benefactor to the power play last year was Deliberatory, who always found a lane to shoot the puck, had a hefty shot, um, always made sure that wherever he was shooting from, a rebound was possible. And that's why Ethan DeYoung was super effective last year in front of the goalie. Um, this year, DeYoung has been suppressed on the shot on the shot board and on the goal um, on the goal sheet. Uh, he he doesn't get the rebounds that he did last year. Um, he's not providing the same kind of screens, and part of that has to do with Quinnipiac doesn't set up sh- like they don't want to shoot as much. They want to set up the right shot, and I think that's counteractive to what they do at five on five, where they want to shoot from everywhere. Um, on the power play, the whole point is you want to create scoring chances, and if you're doing like you said, pass, 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 and then 
one missed pass and it's out of the zone and then you just wasted 45 seconds. They should focus on it should be one or two passes, set up, rotate, try and catch the defense um, lacking, and then fire a puck on net. Goalie covers it, goalie covers it. You never know if it's going to go in or not, right? You never know if there's going to be a screen, a deflection, or whatever. You don't shoot it, you're not going to score. Um, and they've played around with different power play systems throughout the year. Um, we've seen they they dressed Boken as a defenseman um, in the championship, and, and they played him on the and power they played play. him on the that power was a play. Surprise when I was now he was the only out there. He was out there for two of the power plays. I don't know if they put him out um, in in the final power play with just a few minutes left in the game. Because Jaden Lee was out there, I'm not sure if Lee took Boken spot or not with the with the empty net. Um, but we we have seen them mix around players all around the ice, specifically on that left dot where they need a right-handed shot. Now I'm wondering if they've ever considered putting Griffin Mendel in front of the net. I've had a few people on Chronicle ask me why don't they just put the biggest guy on in the ice and stick him in front of the goalie. I mean, they could do that with T.J. Friedman. They could do that with Mendel. They can do that with Gus Van Ness. Just get a big body in front of the net. Force the goalie to look around him, make a mistake. I think that that would be. I don't know if it's going to work, but they should have tried that throughout the year. Yeah, I, I think that experimenting with your lines is something that Rand's not afraid to do. He's not afraid to swap it up in order to try and get something going. Uh, and you, you see that through the experimentation on the left side wing on the top line with Christoph Fillion and you have uh, Michael Lombardi and other faces. Just You're trying to find that perfect line mate for Bon Giovanni and DeYoung. I, I really agree with your point of just trying to put some new faces out there. Griffin Mendel could be somebody that really makes a difference on a power play. I mean, we've seen what he can do when he's producing offensively. During the St. Lawrence series, he absolutely was on fire. Fire. That was one of, he was the hot stick during that, that series. And without Griffin Mendel, when the Bobcats weren't really getting production from Smolanic, they weren't really getting production from DeYoung, Bon Giovanni was, you know, he was contributing. Mezzo wasn't really producing. Your top guys weren't making the plays happen. You had Griffin Mendel going in there and saying, okay, I know I usually play a defensive role, but let's make this happen I want to move on to the semifinals and Mendel just goes off he has an amazing series and just it's it's something that you can try out new pieces and Rand's not afraid to adjust and I think that that's a great trait of a coach because if you are very set in your ways uh, it, it can kind of show that you're stubborn and Rand is not a stubborn coach. He's willing to try really risky things. We saw in the championship game when he pulled Yanni Peretz with six minutes left to go. Skating six on four in a, a close game like that, when a championship's on the line, Rand's willing to go all in. And I think that that's been proven time and time again. So maybe switching up the power play could be a really good thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know um, what the focus is going to be on the power play come tomorrow night. Um, I would be shocked if it's not the top five guys on the team. So Metza, Bon Giovanni, um, we're still not sure if Smolanic is going to play or not. He was skating at practice, but we don't really know uh, if he's good to go for tomorrow night. Um, if not, that's even it inhibits that power play even more. Um, you, you take away one of the best shots on the team. But I, it should be Metza, Bon Giovanni, De Jong, um, throw out Cipollone, who's had uh, very consistent games over the last stretch. Um, they can put Brennan Less out there. He's had several games where he's produced offensively. I'm sure Chow will be out 
Michael um, Lombardi is another name you can place in there. Yeah, I, mean. I know. I know they've had Lombardi on Unit Two a lot um, with Sip alone and Van Ness and Jaden Lee. So I'm sure that they'll if Smolanik's not good to go, um, they'll rotate like Burgart. I, I can see uh, Rand throwing those guys under the top unit, try and mix it up, throw a different look at St. Cloud State, something that they're not expecting, something they haven't really practiced for. Yeah, uh, ever since Smolanik got traded to Montreal, it's kind of been interesting. His game has sort of altered, and we've we've sort of seen him. I, I think it's just sophomore slump. It has to be because uh, Smolanik is still one of the most talented players in Quinnipiac history, the highest draft pick. And, I mean, he's involved in this very high-profile Ben Sherratt trade, and that's for a reason because the Canadiens see something in Ty Smolanik. They want him to develop correctly so that he can make the NHL roster, maybe Laval in the AHL. That's that's something that they want to see out of him, and Smolanik needs to find his game he can do that right now in the NCAA tournament. If he's going to skate against, say, Cloud State tomorrow night, that could be really huge for his confidence. That could be really huge to get him back in the lineup producing because Milanic has really struggled uh, in the last few games. He's had one goal in the St. Lawrence series, but since then, his last goal was in February. Mm-hmm. So he's really had this long stretch where he's failed to produce consistent offense and Ever since February rolled around, everything after CT Ice, when he had an assist against UConn and a couple assists against Princeton and Colgate and Cornell in that game stretch over our winter break, that has really sort of pushed away his offense. I think the last really good game Smolanik played was Harvard on January 14th when he scored that highlight reel goal from his knees and he was falling all over the ice. That was a great game for him. Three-point game. Probably the best game that he played all season. And he's had three-point games throughout the year. And since then, he's just been cold. He needs to find his game right now. I, You're right. He hasn't really had a, a huge impact game since back in January. Um, but I think, I think the biggest issue... Um, around Smolanic is the injury that he suffered in the uh, IHF tournament. That's very true. Um, where it was considered a lower body injury. Um, it was definitely a leg injury, but I'm not too sure exactly what it was. And for a guy that's all about speed and and a power forward on the rush, um, his game. Uh, you look at the start of the season, and he was consistently putting shots on net. Um, you would see a couple of games where he wouldn't score, but then all of a sudden he's the best player in the next game. And then as soon as he returned from the tournament, he has been nearly invisible. Um, like you said, he has two goals in the last two and a half yeah, months. Yeah, that, that could also be because he's playing hurt. Yeah, he, it could just be a lingering injury, and it hasn't gone away. Yeah. There, the, For a guy who is all about speed, to not notice him on is a given night is very, very concerning. Very, very concerning. And... I think that tells a lot that he was scratched in the ECAC Hockey Championship game. Um, I think it must have flared up again recently, and Rand viewed it as, you know, we're in the tournament no matter what. The championship is the championship. Win or lose, we're still going to the tournament. Um, I'd much rather have my star player healthy or close to healthy come uh, regional playoff time. So I think if, if he's back to practicing today, We'll see him in the lineup, and I I would be shocked if he's not a huge impact in the game tomorrow. You guys have final score predictions? Final score. Um, As much as I want to say Quinnipiac with confidence, I don't know. I'm going to guess 
that it's going to be an overtime loss because a running theme with these big games that the Bobcats play is that they'll push to a tie and then they'll go to either one overtime or two overtimes and then that will be, I, I call it the Quinnipiac collapse. I, I don't want to see this team lose in overtime because it would really hurt their confidence on a year that they've had so many great memories, so great, so many great talents come to this school. They have all these great graduates in their room. They have a chance to, you know, make Oliver Chow maybe a, a back-to-back NCAA champion. I, I just don't see them getting past St. Cloud State, uh, especially with that strong power play. So I'll guess St. Cloud State 3-2 in overtime. I'm going to go with Kiyu is going to win either 3-1 or 3-2. Um, St. Cloud will score late and make it interesting. But I, I Better think St. Cloud scores first, and then Quinnipiac battles their way back through the entire rest of the game. That would be – I think that they're, they're going to keep St. Cloud off of the, off of the scoreboard. That's so my if, prediction. if Pete's right and they don't have a Quinnipiac collapse, can they go on a big tournament run? I, I think they could. It's just – the thing is is that with each win, the opponents and the quality of opponent only gets harder. Because if you look at the Allentown Regional, on the other side of the AIC matchup against Michigan is the Wolverines. The Wolverines have amazing NHL prospect level talent. They have one of the best programs in the nation. They're a top five team and they're a legitimate program in collegiate hockey. If you want to talk about powerhouses you talk about teams like minnesota and michigan and michigan is going to be really the benchmark of quinnipiac and beat st cloud which i i don't think it's impossible i think it's just going to be very hard to do considering their track record against ranked opponents has not been very strong they've struggled against teams in the lower tens like clarkson and harvard so beating number 11 st cloud could be really difficult Michigan, if they get past Michigan, then they will go to the Frozen Four and have a chance at a title. I think that then I will have the utmost confidence that the Bobcats will be playing on house money. They have such a great chance this year with the lineup that they have and Yanni Perrette's playing out of his mind. I don't think it's out of the question, but it's going to be a very hard road. I think um, I think Michigan is heavily overrated. As a team, that's interesting. Um, for a university to have so much top tier talent to struggle as much as they did in their own conference throughout the year, and they, what do they have? Seven first round draft picks on that team. Uh, four Including or five Owen of them. Power. Four or five of them went in the top five. I think that's absurd. And to struggle as much as they did against their own conference, I think says a lot about their their overall performance as a team. Um, their shot share at, at even strength is very minimal um, in, in their favor. And I think that says a lot. I, the, the Big Ten is not a super defensive conference. Um, it's all about scoring as, as many goals as possible. And Michigan, obviously, they have 153 goals for and, and 84 against on the year. But The third best uh, national scoring offense, which is still strong. I mean, that's, it's, that's incredible. It's very but good. But you it, would expect them to be one with the, the amount of talent that they have. They, they should be better. So that tells me that they're top-heavy. Their defense is not as strong as it should be. Their, their, bottom off, their bottom lines of offense are not as strong as they should be. And then to look at their overall performance i mean their penalty kill is very 
mid, very average. I think it's right around 83%, maybe a little less. Um, they're, they're, I think they're an overrated team in terms of they're not a true top four contender. Um, I think the NCHC, you could arguably put all four of those teams ahead of Michigan and possibly a hockey's team, but they are still very good and they should not be overlooked specifically because they have seven first round draft picks on yeah, that team. Yeah, and, and you can't count out AIC. AIC, I like to call the collegiate hockey spoiler. <laughs> they are the most under the radar team I think I've ever seen. I mean, the Atlantic Hockey Conference in general, it, it's considered to be a lower tier level of uh competition with with teams like Canisius it, no they're, they're, they're not the the most competitive or well-known nationally but AIC has run the table there they've won the conference championship and I don't think it's out of the question that AIC is potentially as good as Michigan's power play because they're ranked exactly the same they each have 25.7 percent conversion rate even if the level of competition is different there's still pieces that AIC can roll with and imagine if they upset Michigan that's that not be, out of the question that'd be a St. Peter's level upset that would be probably bigger than a St. Peter's upset that would be massive I don't think AIC wins against Michigan simply because it's a Big Ten team versus an Atlantic hockey team, as good as AIC was. And we saw AIC nearly beat Quinnipiac twice. They tied Quinnipiac. That was the first tie in quite a while. The Bobcats really struggled against AIC. Don't take that team lightly. Don't just sit on like the Yellow Jackets because you know they're, they're kind of a, a, an easy team. They're not. I don't think that any team is not here without merit, even Harvard. They played such a close game against Minnesota, and they, they had a really, really close chance. They scored two unanswered within a minute, and they almost won, but it, it wasn't meant to be. I mean, they, they've competed all year against quality teams. Um, they've played UMass. Obviously, UMass won both games. Um, Quinnipiac tied, and then they lost in, in OT in the other one. Um, but they're, like you said, they're the great spoiler. Um, they're a super competitive they're well, uh, very disciplined and well coached team. They're scrappy. They're very physical, and they love playing in that role. They love playing in that underdog, overlooked, um, kind of in the shadows team. And they could give Michigan a game. Uh, we'll, we'll see them tomorrow afternoon. But you know, I I I think it's it's safe to say that Michigan will most likely win this game. Yeah, of course. But if you look at the goaltending talent that AIC has as well, just kind of on a side note, they have a couple of aces up their sleeve with Jake Kacharski and Alex Calvaruso. They are solid goaltenders uh, with, with decent numbers. So I think it'll be one to watch. But more than likely, it would be incredibly, incredibly impossible for Michigan to lose, considering the amount of talent if they did. And if they did, it might be one of the biggest upsets in NCAA history. Same in the Bobcats. The whole Allentown regional, I think, is just one of those interesting uh, regionals out of the four. It's really one of the most intriguing because it's either Quinnipiac or Michigan that's going to make it out of there, I think. And, you know, I, I know I did predict St. Cloud State. That's just because of my track history seeing Quinnipiac kind of struggle in big games. But if they are able to get past St. Cloud State, they should play very competitively against Michigan. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and I, I'm intrigued to see how a couple of the other regions played out. Um, looking at the, the Albany Regional, uh, Notre Dame and 
North Dakota should be underway right now, actually. Let me let me yeah, let me do, do a check quick out check. the score there. But just looking at some of the other regionals right here, I mean, we obviously saw that Harvard was eliminated, and uh, just the, the the whole bracket this year, uh, fantastic talent. There's a lot of really top-heavy teams here. You have you know Minnesota State up in the uh, the Albany regional. They've they've now advanced forward. Um, and yeah, the North Dakota uh, Notre Dame game one, one. is going to be something to definitely keep a tab on as we uh, as we move through the rest of this bracket. All right, guys, let's get into our shootout segment. So this is how it's going to work. You guys are going to choose three players each from either Quinnipiac or St. Cloud based on who you think will have a big impact on the game Friday night. So usually the away team goes first in a shootout. There's no away team here, so I'm going to flip a coin to see who goes first. So someone call it in the air. I'll call heads. Clever calls heads. It is heads. Clever goes first. All right, let's go. So my first player to uh, keep an eye out for, uh, Yanni Pretz, a very obvious choice, I know. Uh, the crowd favorite in terms of uh, obvious choices. But if you want to talk about single-season performances, we, we said earlier in this episode how he had uh, better seasons in the NCAA than players like Ryan Miller and uh, Connor Hellebuck, uh, legitimate NHL talents. Uh, Yanni Peretz is going to be the backbone of the Bobcats, and without solid play from him, it's going to be very hard to beat a tough St. Cloud State team like this. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the same theme of Quinnipiac. Uh, my guy to go to is gonna be Oliver Chow. Um, obviously, he won last year. He's got all the experience. Um, he played incredibly well in both the ECAC hockey uh, semifinal and championship. You noticed him almost every single shift. Um, it, it's going to come down to whether or not his line can convert or not. Yeah, for my second player, I'll go with Wyatt Giovanni, the captain. He had a really great series, including a goal against Colgate um, in the ECAC semifinals. And, you know, I, I think he's just going to have a fire lit underneath him. He said in the postgame press conference how much it hurt that he lost out on the ECAC championship and that the raw motion that came out of Wyatt Giovanni at that presser was very... Very powerful, very moving, and I, I think that Bon Giovanni is just going to know that this is his last opportunity, potentially, as a senior, as the captain, to come into this game and to make an impact in a tournament game, and just to kind of write his name in Quinnipiac history as one of the best captains uh, that this team has seen in a long, long time. I think that he's a great leader, and he's going to be someone to look out for on the ice. The, the second player that I'll take is uh, Sam Henches on St. Cloud. Uh, he's only played 19 games this year. I, I, I'm going to go with he suffered a couple injuries because he's only played half the season. But in those 19 games, he's 11 goals and 20 points. And 11 goals is super impressive in, in 19 games. That's a 20-goal that's a pace on the season, which would have led the team. Um, I, I think that for them to stay hot, I think you got to look at his production in the last few weeks. And he has six goals or five goals in in the last month. Um, that's almost a goal per per game, or just under a goal per game. So it, it's it's going to be huge for them to have a, a senior step up like that. Yeah, and for my third player, I'm going to go with Kevin Fitzgerald, a graduate forward uh, from St. Cloud. He's had a really uh, good graduate year coming back to this team. Uh, obviously, he was not active in 2020-2021, but uh, he has been uh, leading as of uh, the uh, stat sheet that we have right here. He had 33 points in 32 games. It's a point-per-game pace. Um, definitely someone to look out for on the offensive end for the Huskies. 
And my final guy, I'm going to stick with Griffin Mendel, the other graduate player uh, for Quinnipiac. He has been a major force on the defensive end for QU all season, and recently he's been hot offensively. Uh, three goals and three assists over his last several games. Uh, he's going to be crucial for QU to bolster that back end against a high-flying St. Cloud State offense. You heard it here. Clever's shootout picks, Peretz, Bongiovanni, and Fitzgerald, Pete's picks, Chow, Henches, and Mendel. All right, that'll do it for Bobcat Banter. Thanks to Pete and Clever for talking Bobcats hockey right before the NCAA tournament game in Allentown. We appreciate everyone listening. Enjoy the games.